Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Carol DeMonico from Bend, Oregon with us. She is a coach, an entrepreneur, someone who has been, uh, I guess, you've had a few different transitions in your life. You were a former nurse. Um, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and just talk about what you're doing and who you're re- reaching right now? Sure. Thanks, April. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here this morning. Um, Well, I feel like I have a pretty eclectic background. You know, I've done a lot of things, worn a lot of hats. I think that's really true, particularly of a lot of women of my generation. You know, I've been a mom. I've been a nurse. I've been a wife. I've been, I think the thing I've been most passionate about in the last like 20 years is transitioning sort of from nursing into the coaching field, because I found myself more drawn to supporting people's sort of emotional mental well-being more than their physical well-being Hmm. more interested in um i mean what i called it when i first started coaching was kind of like how can we have balance in a really unbalanced world (laughs) you know there's so much stress and pressure and on on most of us now in this world and so i i love working with people who who want to kind of figure out what that means to them Um, even like the term work-life balance, I like to say to people, actually, it's really just life balance because work is a part of life. It's not actually separate from life, but when we term it separate from life, we kind of make it something different instead of bringing it all in, folding it into, um, kind of the flow of our day, Mm -hmm. it becomes the more central important thing. And for me, it's sort of, I don't know if that's necessarily true or helpful for us. So I'm a coach. I work individually, you know, one-on-one with people, which I love one-on-one connection. As we were talking before we started, I love having a back and forth conversation with people. And I also, with a partner, Casey Davis, created some guidebooks um, called Wonder Uprising, which are kind of more of a deeper way of kind of helping us rewire how we see the world and how we participate in it. And and being able to make everyday changes to live our life more in line with our values. How much are you working directly with Casey? Um, Not much right now since COVID. We were doing a lot of workshops and classes together and her work prior to Wonder Uprising or what she does other than Wonder Uprising is she's a designer. Mm -hmm. So she ended up going back to more of her design work. I ended up doing more of my coaching work and one-on-one and so we put, you know, the, the workshops were a little harder to get going online, although we're, we're doing some of that again. Um, and she's going to take a trip right now. She's going to get into a motorhome and travel with her son and husband for seven months. So she's going to be a little harder to be accessible for me, but it's been a super <laughs> wonderful connection. And we both work from home, you mm-hmm. know, um, and so we've been able to, to kind of collaborate together in that way, you know, house to house, which has been really sweet. Who is your main audience? Like, I know you're coaching people. What do they come to you for coaching um, regarding? I think the, the, the primary thing people come for is they feel a little disconnected and kind of disillusioned with how their life is going. And sometimes it's, it's, it's work. And sometimes again, it's a combination. Again, I can't really always separate it. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I do is support them to get a little clearer about what's under that disillusionment and disconnection. Um, And often it comes down to wanting to have more meaning and purpose in their life, which 
you know, 99% of the time will include a thread of work, of course. Right. Of course. Yeah. I always feel awkward when I'm talking about work-life balance too. It does come up and I say those words, but I know that's not the best way to put it. And I never know. I mean, life balance, just life balance is a good way to put it, but it includes, you know, many facets life, right. You know, family work, recreation, yes. social time, all the different things. Yeah. Health, wellness. Yeah. Cause our lives are complex. <laughs> right. Yes. It's not just two things. <laughs> right. Uh, but when it's all happening in the same space, it does definitely add a new dynamic um, that not everyone can relate to. And I'm assuming that you probably have coached several people through that process in the past couple of years. Do you want to talk a little bit about how the pandemic has affected like some of your clients in that way? Yeah. I mean, it, it was a, it had a major impact <laughs> and, um, I would say that one of the interesting things to note was for the people that went from working outside the home to then working at home that had young children at home, yep. the impact had uh, uh, was, was much greater and the needing to figure out strategies and ending and beginning points and transitions and integrating some playfulness into their day and mm -hmm. negotiating with their workspace and their their leaders to create, um, you know, different work hours became much more yeah. essential. And so I think those were the most challenging clients, not challenging in a, in a bad way, but the most challenging actually in sort of a fun way of saying, how can we create, you know, how can we create something really different for you that's, that can support you to get through this time. And those that did have that flexibility with their time, um, I think, had an easier time. Like, um, this one thing that my husband and I had already been doing for years is that I was working while the kids were sleeping. And then I was able to, you know, well, I, we've been through a different, a few different iterations. At some point we had some help getting the kids to school because I was working overnight hours and I would sleep while they were at school. Um, and if I would go outside and see the light, um, I, I couldn't fall back asleep. Uh, more recently it was, that I would be working until the kids needed to get ready to school. I would bring them to school and then I'd come back and finish working in, you know, some capacity. Uh, but those who had that fixed schedule eight to five with no flexibility and the kids, you know, needing, you know, way more hands-on help than most people probably anticipated with the online learning. Um, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, just going to pop the kid in front of a computer and the teacher would take care of it for the rest of the day. It was like way more hands-on for us than, that and I, I just feel for the people whose companies, bosses, whoever you know, management weren't flexible to get through that time. And I know that some people really, you know, were willing to work with others, and others, you know, were very rigid in some of their thinking and made it hard. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, the other piece that was sort of interesting about about it is that a lot of people actually waited, but a lot of people left those organizations towards the end, you know, in the All last right. like six months, there's been so much moving around. And I think what you're pointing to is, you know, there was a lot of awareness garnered by, by people working as to what their work environment was that they maybe weren't quite as aware of when they were in the office, but when there was a big change, watching how management, um, implemented things made them more aware of, again, what was more, important to them and what were their values and, um, you know, the, the work environment they wanted to work in. And that, that mentality changed for a lot of people. 
what are you willing to put up with? And, you know, how much do you really love your job? And, you know, how important is, you know, I guess I, I keep wanting to say work-life balance, like how important is your, your wealth, your wealth, your health and wellness, you know, compared to your bottom line? Um, can you get by paying bills without having to work in this toxic environment? So I think you're alluding a little bit to the great resignation. Is that what they're calling it right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's been super interesting to also walk people through that, you mm-hmm. know, for people to, um, cause previously for a while I worked as a health coach in a big, um, healthcare system here in, in central Oregon and in that system, the people that were sort of, you know, most of those people obviously still had to stay in their jobs on the ground, working physically in the spaces because they were taking care of patients. Um, but I think the, the recognition of even in those situations, how management, you know, responded and reacted also, you know, shifted people's perspective perspectives and looking for like, even in nursing, I have clients that are looking for ways to work from home now because they're not, you know, they don't want to be in that institutional setting anymore based on the response. So it's just been super interesting. I think there's been so much growth that's gone on and so much transitions that's happening. And hopefully it's for, in some ways for the good that more people are moving towards what gives them you know, a a sense of fulfillment and a sense of balance in their family. And as you said, I think the health and well-being piece, um, recognizing that most of our systems don't necessarily include health and well-being as something they really are um, invested in, unfortunately. How has your own work changed in the past couple of years? Well, first of all, when I, you know, working from home, I still did see, see people in person. You know, so I had, I had clients in person. I had, I have clients from all over the United States. So I also had clients on the phone and on zoom, but, but I had a fair amount of clients that I would see weekly. So having that, um, stop, you know, having no in-person connection with clients was a really interesting feeling for me, you know, it was a bit of a loss of that human connection. I'm a, I'm a connector. I'm a feeler. I like being in the presence of other humans. Me too. Having that cut off and having to be creative about how to find other ways to have physical connection with other people, not, you know, not from not following the rules, but from getting outside with people and taking walks or meeting in a park and sitting at a picnic table, um, really having to change some of my hours around. So I made okay. sure I actually did see some people mm-hmm. and figuring out what, how much I did need. And sometimes I couldn't even get that need met because there were so many things going on for other people. Oh yeah. Oh so yeah. The, the loss of, um, of the physicality. Uh, were you inviting people into your home? Do you have like an office where you were bringing people in or yeah. how did that yeah. work? Yeah, I have a home office. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just interviewed the last person I was talking to and she was talking a bit about how she sometimes enjoys having people in to her home, but sometimes that doesn't really match the, I guess, the expectation of what they would have with meeting a consultant. And so I was just curious how you, um, how you've decided to invite people into your home and how that affects your relationship for a positive or if it's awkward ever? Um, well, you know, I had to do some thinking about it. I looked around at offices outside of home and, 
you know, I weighed the benefits, you know, and, and the, and the perks of that. I actually was, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was also doing a work working in a, a work share space, you know, where I had some hours where I could be somewhere and I could have a space that was mine to invite people to. Um, but I also, for me and the work that I do, I think part of it was, you know, my relationship is professional, but there's also a casualness to how I, like, I'm just, I'm a human being that cares about other human beings. And so inviting people into my home, um, there's sort of a warmth there, like Mm -hmm. that I'm willing to be transparent and show you what my life looks like. And because I'm really asking that of you as you come in and are willing to share yourself. Right. That's sort of what I got to is that like that part actually felt kind of important that an office, because I'd worked in one right before I came home, it, it felt a little too sterile for me. Well, and I wondered if that work, the co-working space would have had enough privacy for people to feel ready to open up. Did you have like a private conference room there that you were meeting in or were you in like an open room? It was both. I mean, I could rent a private thing, but it was also in an open room. And I, when I was there, honestly, it was sort of funny. I often, when I was meeting with people there, we would end up meeting outside. So they had an outside space. So it's like, okay, well, here I am. I'm outside, like I'm in a park. I might as well just be doing this. I'm paying for space and I'm not using it, you know? Um, <laughs> but it was not, it was a good thing for me to try you know, to see if that was, that was sort of an in-between thing. And then when COVID hit and we couldn't use the space and I hung on for a while wanting to support the co-working space, honestly. And then I was sort of like, eh, I'm just, I was going to ask you, how did that go? Because I have interviewed, I'm looking at my list of previous interviews, quite a few people now who struggled with, um, like ending that contract. Like some people were bound to that contract and they weren't going to let them go. And other people like you, you know, trying to support the business to keep them on. Um, I actually was days away from signing a contract with one that's about a mile and a half from my home. And I didn't because I could kind of see the writing on the wall. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thankful that I didn't. Uh, but I also really hope for their success. And I think that they're still there. <laughs> I think they are, but I haven't been back. Yeah. 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 My co-working space, they were very new actually. And it was really a beautiful space and they were Mm -hmm. the kindest, most generous people. They were so open about, uh, you know, about wanting people to stay. They gave people a discount in staying. I mean, they did it from, from my perspective, they did everything right. Good. They they did everything right to encourage and also to let go and to be really kind and understanding of different people's circumstances. So I couldn't have had, I had a really great experience with them. And are you contemplating the idea of going back or are you pretty settled into your new routine now? Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm pretty settled into my new routine. I really, yeah, I, I, I'm actually, one of the things that I've noticed is just I'm driving less, you know, and that I'm making a decision like when I get in the car and when I don't. And I really like that, you know, I had to drive to the co-working space and now it's like, no, at least only one of us is driving somewhere. Right. If, if is it really is working from home? If you still have a commute? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How exactly. long was that commute to get there? It was probably about 15 or 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Not bad. I could have walked my, I mean, literally yeah. in a mile and a half. Um, it's, it was close, but yeah, still having to like get up and get out can, you know, just add a little bit more to your day. And I don't know, I, I like to preserve that time for something else. Reserve that time, preserve. I don't know they both work, right? 
Yeah, I think they both work. And, and speaking about that, I'll just share because I love that you said that because one of the things I've been really conscious of in talking to clients um, during the COVID time is, you know, how do they want to utilize their commute time so that they're really aware that they have this time back. And it's been really fun and super creative for people to really take the time to reflect on that and then to to really choose how they're using that time, how they're bringing that time into something that maybe they didn't, they couldn't eke out time for prior and now they do. And it's why some people don't wanna go back now. I mean, a lot of the people I talk to that have a choice about going back or staying home um, are staying home partially because for them, they had fairly long commute times and recognizing what they now can do with that time is for them like they're not willing to, to lose that time. I would love if you could give any examples. Okay, well, one is, <laughs> so this is someone who was really struggling at the time to have a good exercise routine. So she had a 45 minute commute on the way to work. And it was usually because she took the bus, it was almost an hour and a half on the way back because the, the traffic was worse. And um, the first thing she did when she got home is she started walking every morning and she went from walking, I mean, she was kind of tracking her walking prior to, went from walking about a mile to a mile and a half a day when she was working to now a solid six miles pretty much every day. And Good it has her. totally changed like her strength, her, um, like she can even tell, like she was just saying to me, like my energy is just, is so much better. Like I feel so much more vital vitality in my body, yeah. you know, from doing that. So that's one that just like watching her transform, it was so important to her and she could not figure it out, you know, and this just gate, opened that gateway of time. And then the other person I'm thinking of is one of my, um, is, a, is a male client who um, has, a, has a young family. And so for him, it was really about, he often missed the morning time with his kids to you know, have connection and playtime and all of that. And so he, you know, sort of brought that back into his morning commute time, Good. you know, where he has breakfast with his family. They sometimes, you know, they play a game to get the kids ready. You know, they had all these ways that he and his wife, now that they could sort of tag team on it, created, you know, different morning rituals for their family. And then in the evening time, they would also, again, because both of them had been had been working out of the house and they had sort of, you know, so they would take turns every other day and giving each other that evening commute time to themselves. Hmm. And, um, you know, it was often used for creative, for him, it was often used for, for creative time, you know, for him to just do some brainstorming. And he was an artist, you know, part of what he loved to do outside of work was art. And so he would take that, 45 minutes to an hour on his days and get to do something that he really had cut out again because of the kids um, and life being so full. He hadn't really had that until COVID came. Sounds like they're gaining back an hour and a half, two hours, 2.15. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I used to have a, if I was driving a little on the fast side, you know, it'd be a 50 minute one way, but really it was more like an hour and include parking and walking in. Um, yeah. You're gaining over two hours in your day Yeah, for a lot of people. Now, yeah. if you have a five minute commute, it might, you know, not really be that, you know, the same reclaiming the same amount of time, but yeah, it's, it can be huge for some families. 
Yeah. Yeah. My husband is very involved in getting the kids up and ready for school. He has to go on site. Like, I think they just lost another team member. Um, So now it's going to be once every four weeks, he has to be on site. But even when he's on site, um, the kids, he's still helping get the kids' lunches together. And that wasn't really a big part of his routine in the past. Um, Usually I would be getting the kids up um, after he left. And now it seems like he's just, you know, (laughs) if he's not home, I really struggle because it's all on me and I'm used to sharing that time. But yeah, it's, it's really nice to have him home, you know, I guess 75% of the time to help get the kids out and to see each other. Yeah, it's just, I think that what is missing in the busyness of what our culture is, and, and I think where the awareness came with this abrupt stop, was like how important those moments are, right? It's, yeah. it's the little things in family life and in partnership and even in community. It's those, you know, passing by somebody at the mailboxes and having time to have a 10 minute conversation instead of rushing back to the car to drive to work, you know, like all those small moments. I think if we're going back to kind of that word balance, you know, it's like those, those simple things are what sort of balance things out for us. Right. It's. I am thinking though about like our single friends, you know, some people they lost when they came home because they lost that human connection that they had. Um, And I'm assuming that you've had people from both sides, you know, if they're gaining family time, Um, that, that person who lives alone lost that, you know, social connection, the time that they had at work. Yeah. Yeah. The loneliness and isolation piece has been huge. And so um, one of the things I think I'd like to share about that just a little more broadly, which has was super interesting, again, particularly at the very beginning of the pandemic with some of my clients and even some people that were past clients and just actually emailed me and said, um, you know, can, can we just brainstorm some things? Cause I'm struggling. And yeah. And one of the things that I realized was helpful for people was, you know, if you're by yourself more, you know, what does, you know, to deepen, almost give yourself the opportunity to one deepen your own connection with yourself you know, through, so things like mindfulness practices and pausing and just really like letting yourself feel whatever you're feeling, having more time for reflection and contemplation in a world where that's not the norm. So kind of like, you know, with some of my clients, it was like, can you lean into this and see what, what comes from having some space, right? So to turn it from, from loneliness to wonder and curiosity embrace that. Yeah. Yeah. To embrace it and to see what you can create. So that was one, one strategy with a couple people that ended up being, you know, and some of it is personality style and and what people are ready for emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing was coming up with really creative ways for people to connect via zoom, you know, and other things. And so one of the things, one of my former clients, um, had done with me is I used, I used to teach laughter yoga. So I don't know if you've heard of laughter yoga, but I've heard of it. Tell, tell everybody about it though. Okay. So laughter yoga is really just the unique idea that, um, you know, one, it's about the importance of of laughter, but just to laugh for no reason at all. So this, uh, Madan Kataria, a medical doctor in India created laughter yoga in the late 1990s. And 
you know, he really, it really was, you know, from a visit with his mom where she said, you're not even happy anymore, you know? And so he gave it some thought and anyways, long story short, he created this structure around laughter yoga, recognizing that, you know, and here's some just, you know, these aren't hard and fast facts, but on average, children under the age of five laugh 400 times a day. Adults in the United States laugh less than 10 times a day. Hmm. So, you know, you can kind of like, you know, how when you're around a bubbly, you know, you can feel the difference. And so contagious, it is contagious. And so, but learning what he realized was learning to laugh for no reason at all is what probably the most important thing is because sometimes there's nothing to laugh about. Right. But being able to laugh and get the feel good hormones, which they know come when we laugh um, Hmm. is what it's all about. So a laughter yoga session is sort of like, you know, you come into it and you do some breathing and then you do very silly laughter exercises And then you do what's called kind of free laughter or laughter meditation. But the whole idea is really just to fake it till you make it, to smile and kind of have this playful energy, you know, cultivate playful energy and to connect, right? And so we ended up, you know, she said, could we, could you do some laughter for me and a group of friends, you know, on (laughs) Zoom? So for for the first six months of the COVID thing, I met with that group you know, once a week or once every two weeks, and we would laugh. And these were all people that were alone and home by themselves. So it was like anywhere between four and eight people that were literally by themselves. And so from that, you know, other ideas popped and other ways of connecting via Zoom and creative ways to, you know, have connection, even if you can't have it physically. And you know, and so much has popped up. I mean, I think some of my clients started to use Eventbrite more and meetups, you know, to find creative ways to connect with people and made, you know, new lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But it took a big shift. Um, it took, it took a really, it was hard. You know? I have a few questions about the laughter yoga. Okay. <laughs> Since I've never participated in it. Um, are there yoga poses included as well? No, I think the reason, I, I don't know the actual reason he called it yoga other than I think it was catchy and it would get people's attention. I mean, and I want to say that a lot of laughter, the similarity between laughter and yoga is pranayama, which is breath. Right? Okay. So laughter is all about breath as well. And the other thing about laughter that I'll say that has a similarity to sort of the consciousness around yoga, I guess I'd say is that, and this is an interesting thing to consider, but when you're laughing, you are in the present moment. Yeah. When you think about it, right? When you're laughing, you're nowhere else. You're right here, right now in the moment. Even when you're faking it, when you're working to fake laughter, you're really right here, right now. So there is a quality of presence that laughter brings us to, which I think I'd never thought about before I was doing laughter yoga about how much it brings you into the moment. Like you can't, your mind can't be other places for that 15 minutes. It's, it's right here. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Um, are there any jokes or like humorous pictures or is just, you just produce laughter? No, no, no. It, they're, the laughter exercises are what kind of sort of like preps the spontaneous laughter to come during the free laughter. And so for instance, you might do, um, one of my favorites is lamb laughter. And so lamb laughter, you get down on your hands and knees, you know, like the, you know, on all fours. Sounds like a yoga pose to me. Yes. But I'm going to, I'm going to do the laughter for you. So lamb laughter goes like this. Bah, bah, (laughs) bah. 
know if I can do it while I'm laughing. (laughs) So you have a group of people on all fours on the ground, faces looking at each other doing bah, right? I mean, you, you're, you're within hysterics within seconds, or you think we're all completely crazy, which, you know, both of those things happen, but I'm already like springing tears here. So thank you for that. (laughs) But do you know what I mean? And the other thing that it does April that I love about the laughter is it allows adults to be silly. Yeah. And, you know, particularly in, you know, the United States, I just think, you know, we are not silliness and, and even laughter is considered, you know what I mean? If you laugh really loud, people give you a funny look. It's yeah. A little inappropriate perhaps or out of context. Yeah. Yeah. And what I've seen is it really liberates something in people. So I did a lot of laughter yoga during COVID. I like this so much. Thank you for sharing that. I was thinking I was single till I was 31. And there were a few years of my singlehood that I kind of started to realize, like, I think I'm just too serious. And I had a ton of brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest of 10 kids. Um, And so there was a lot of excuses to like play with the kids. And I was substitute teaching. So I was in the schools, but you know, being a substitute teacher is kind of like crowd control management stuff. Uh, But when I had kids, I was looking forward to having kids because I knew then it would be appropriate again to play and run and go sledding and do that fun stuff and games. Like as a single person, I was hosting game nights, you know, but it's just, you know, going to a comedy club is different than just getting down and playing. And sometimes for some reason, we feel a need to have children as our excuse to get and play. But I think adults need it, too. Absolutely. And I, I, as I can say, if anything taught me that it was laughter yoga, you know, we would sometimes mm-hmm. get on the ground. I live in a, a co-housing community in Bend. And so it kind of became a thing here. And for a full year, we did it every morning at 7am. What is co-housing? Can you tell me oh. more about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I got a little yeah. loud there. <laughs> co-housing is a concept that started in Denmark years and years ago. But it's really about people getting together and either, you know, building structures to be in kind of more of community together or, you know, figuring out a way to be in community together in buildings that have already been created. But the intention is to be um, more connected than you might be in a regular neighborhood. You share more spaces. So for instance, in my co-housing community, our our lot lines for the houses that we own are pretty small, but then we have these shared spaces. So we have shared open spaces that are not anybody's lawn; they're everybody's space. You know, so we have a playground. We have well, a here in Arizona, park. we just call those like green greenways, right? Like the, the like the community parks. Is it different than that? Well, it's different than that. Then it's just we are the only people. This circle of people own those. You know. It's still it. a, like this property isn't just the property of everybody in Bend. It's the property of the people that live in this community. So it's shared among the 30 houses here. Not that we can't share it with people outside mm-hmm. the community, but it's like we all own this particular swath of land, which is seven acres. Um, and then we have a common house, which you can have events in and gatherings. So there's a house that's separate from anybody's individual space that allows um, for community gatherings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of communities have, a lot of uh, co-housing places, you know, have a certain intention or a certain way of living or um, a commitment to live lighter on the earth or, um, 
you know, a myriad of things, but it really is about how, you know, we've gotten so far away from seeing ourselves as a community of people in our individualized culture that the sense of co-housings and, and communities is to kind of bring us back to that, almost that sense of extended family that we've moved so far away from here. Mm. Can you help me parse this out a little bit? I'm curious, how would your co-housing community differ from like an HOA? Uh, here in Arizona, we have, you know, I guess it'd be hundreds of houses, like 200 houses or whatever in our community, but we share a pool. We actually have two pools that we share. We have a park and a central park and a few small parks. How is it different? Like we have like, you know, the park is specifically for our community. You know, we could invite a friend to join us, but we're, you know, it's not like you just park hop. Yeah. So a couple things. One, we also are an HOA because that's still sort of what the setup is. But I guess my question for you would be back. Do you know all your neighbors' names and sort of what they do? And and like, do you well, spend time? Most of my personality would be the person that cares about that sort of thing. So I do know most of our immediate neighbors around us and what they do. Um, there's one next to us. Um, there's a little bit of a language barrier and I haven't gotten to know them as well. Um, but I do, but my husband doesn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is a place where like there's 30 some houses. So I know the names of every single household member in those 30 something houses. Oh yeah. I can say I, that maybe about four. Yeah. And I know, you know, some of, some of their personal stories very well. I know some of their personal stories of everybody, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so a couple years ago, you know, and just that thing, again, it's just a little bit tighter than that, I guess I would say, you know, and the intention is that, is that you do know your neighbors, that if something happens, people, there's so much support for you, you know, so we had a, one of our community members, uh, father passed away while he was visiting her here, and they were in oh. an accident, and she ended up in the hospital, and, and it, was, it was a complex thing, but like within hours, the entire community was mobilized to support this person and the support went on for a long time. Um, and I don't know how easily it was so easy to put together partly because of the, um, the closeness that, you know, I could just walk over to her house, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's 150 feet from my house. Um, but just how, how those kinds of things, the, the level of support, you know, I would say, again, has more of that feel of the extended family. So even if there's somebody that I'm not really close here with, if something happened to me, I have no doubt that that person would show up for me. So it sounds like you have to be intentional. Like when you move into a community like this, it's known that this is part of the deal. Part of the package is you are going to get to know your neighbors. Yeah. 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 And there is going to be conflict (laughs) because we're close. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a, that's a given if you're closer and you're sharing things and you're trying to work out things together that, you know, so there's a lot of, I would say a lot more personal growth opportunity that occurs in a co-housing community than in a regular neighborhood, because you can just, if it's a regular neighborhood and you don't like your neighbor in an HOA, you can just never talk to them again. Ignore them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little harder to do that here. Are they single family homes? They are here. Not most co-housing, um, Places I would say now, particularly, are are building more creatively. This was mm-hmm. built in the mid early to mid '90s, the original housing, and I think that we were still under the auspices of everybody, you know, 
has that single family dwelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's happened now, which has been kind of cool, is in some of those bigger houses, they're becoming share houses. So someone will buy the house, but it might be one person in a four bedroom house, and then they will rent a room to one person or two people. Housemates. Mm-hmm. So trying to create, trying to make sure we're, we're utilizing the spaces we have here in a way to support more people. And when it was built in the 90s, was it built intentionally to be, uh, I, I don't want to say the word commune. Co-housing community, it, yes. It, was it built, sounds like it's a yes. little bit different from a commune. Yeah, it's very different than a commune. You know, it's not. Um, and again, all, if you looked up co-housing communities, you'd see how many are in the, you know, they range from small, like I, I think apparently the, the, the best size for really truly connection is under 30 people like to really have it, you know, we have like 70 or 80 people now we've been up to like 90 something, depending on how many people live in 30 homes, 30 homes in mind. Okay. Yeah. So it varies. Um, There's a lot of variability, but it really, I think is that people that are interested in having more connection with their neighbors and more um, feeling more a part of something other than their, their um, individual either single life or their individual family life, like wanting something more. I have heard about something that's slightly similar, but more temporary uh, in the digital nomad community. There are, um, I, I, I can't think of the term right now. Maybe you would know. Um, it'd be kind of like a co-working housing situation so that people who are like traveling wouldn't just stay in a hotel or just an mm. Airbnb. It would be more like a, maybe a renovated apartment building that has like um, more like a business center where people could like, or really, really good Wi-Fi, <laughs> you know, or internet connections. Um, right. And then maybe, you know, a community garden or something like that. But some of the nomads are, you know, going to only be somewhere for three months or six months, maybe one month. Um, but to know that they are with like-minded people that mm. are, you know, wanting to have community is just that we might not be here long lasting. I have not heard of that. I love that though. There's a word for it and I am not thinking of it right now. <laughs> I love that idea. I mean, I think right now, don't you? I mean, the thing that I learned most about during COVID, I think is that, is that watching how much separation it's created, it's made me crave more, more diversity in my life, mm-hmm. more community in my life <laughs> and being more open to actually hearing and listening to people with a different experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this podcast has sprung up during the middle of this, and it's been a really nice way for me to get to know people from all around the world and, you know, hear their stories and about things that I had never heard of before. It's happening for me on the regular, and I I wish this on other people. Um, And I've mentioned this a few times in previous episodes, but I've been meeting uh, for a year and a half now with a community of people that I never would have expected to connect with. Mm. Um, It's the balloon community. Uh, my daughter was into some balloon twisting stuff. I've got a little stack of balloons right next to me. Like, you know, the long balloons that you make balloon dogs with. Right. Uh, but these are the people that can make like anything. Like you just say, you know, build me a um, T-Rex flying on the, um, you know, some Star Wars, you know, kind of spaceship. And these people can just like build it out of their mind. Um, so they just started, you know, they would be getting together once or twice a month, usually uh, in person before the pandemic, just to kind of, you know, share tips and tricks. And it, I don't know, it was more like a club, I guess you, if you will, like the professionals would just get together and 
practice together and swap information or buy supplies from each other or talk about, hey, I was invited to do this gig, but I can't do it. Well, we started hosting a a Zoom uh, for our local community in Arizona. And there was another community in Texas that was doing the same thing. So we joined forces. Well, we have people from like, I don't know, 20 different countries. Not normally, I think we probably represent about six or seven different countries on a given Wednesday night. Wow! And so it's not just now sharing about balloons, it's sharing your lives. Um, we have one lady from New Zealand, so always showing us her snacks that they have available that we don't. <laughs> and, you know, just like learning about um, other cultures. It's good. Never would have expected that would be, you know, my tribe throughout the pandemic. But I have looked, my daughter doesn't even come usually to these meetings anymore. Um, but I look forward to them and I look forward to that time. I love and I can't that twist story. very well. Yeah, at all. I, I just love that story, though, because it, what you remind me of is just, again, how many different hobbies are out there in the world and connecting to one just connects you to a whole nother group of people who, you know, again, have diverse things, but also have commonality with you. And so the, yeah. the, the gift of those connections and, and, and the it worldwide wasn't even, gift. For me, it wasn't even so much about the balloons. It was about the conversation of the community. Right. Yeah. The people, that's what it, you know, that's generally, I think what it is for most people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of it is just being consistent. Like when I, you know, people are like, how do you make friends when you're adult? A lot of times people make friends now through their kids, like the other parents of the other kids in their classes or whatever might end up becoming friends. But I think if you are willing to just show up every single week or every single month, you know, to a specific place or time or, you know, log in at a specific time to a certain kind of place and just be there more than once, twice, three times, 10 times, you know, that's where you start to build connections is just to be consistent. I, I totally love that you said that. And I cannot agree more about that. (laughs) I often, when I'm talking to people and working on, it's the same thing with consistency, with enjoying, if we go back to the topic of working from home, you know, consistently putting breaks in there where you do something really fun, even if it's for a minute, you know, consistently having beginning ritual and an ending ritual of your workday, you know, Mm -hmm. consistently creating those little, you know, gems throughout the day that support you to feel, you know, to connect in a different way to your life. So, so you can kind of wake yourself up a little bit and then come back to the workday. Yeah. consistency thing. And it's not like about it being perfect. It's sort of like you said, you know, maybe out of the 15 times they meet, you're there 10 to 12 times, but you know, that's enough to, you know, to create that thread that Mm -hmm. the familiarity and the comfort, because it is right now, it feels like it's harder and harder to, I think people sense, or most people I talk to that it's hard to make friends as adults right now. Yeah. but you nailed what it is. It's, I think we give up way too soon. You need both. I think you have to pick something that you're going to be consistent with and show up. It's okay to branch out and try other things, but I would recommend at least keep one thing consistent so that you can deepen those relationships. If you go to a different restaurant every single day, you're never going to like, you know, have that ongoing connection with, you know, someone that might, you know, sit with or something like that. I don't know if restaurant was the right thing, but, um, I'm, I'm in the middle of a job search right now. I am looking to branch out and try something different. The industry that I was part of has just basically shut down last week. 
And one of the books I've been reading is called Switchers. And it's about um, people who are switching from one career into another. Um, my podcast is one of my consistent things right now. I'm obviously meeting new people, but it's something I have that's, you know, kind of keeping me grounded. Uh, but they said that if someone is actually looking at trying to branch, this is kind of breaking into a different topic right now, but um, branch from one industry into another, uh, one of the things that they need to do is break some of those like routines that you get into just for the comfort. You know, you, you start a habit or a routine where you don't, you always do something the exact same way and it's going to be harder to meet new people if you don't actually branch out. So they recommend actually change up your routine and try something new. But I'm like, I, I have to have something that's going to keep me grounded as well. Um, you know, to get through like, you know, sol- a, a big change in your life, it's um, stressful. And so I think that consistency of my, you know, weekly meeting, or I actually have a Zoom every week with my family, that's going to be my grounding place. But yeah, I'm going to have to branch out and like meet new people yeah. and network in ways that I am not maybe comfortable with. Like this is comfortable for me, <laughs> yeah. but there's other ways that maybe uh, stretch will stretch me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you're saying. Cause I think what you're saying is it's not either or right. It's both. I mean, I yeah. think we need consistency and we need spontaneity and stretching. And when we get too focused on either one of those, you know, too much into, I'm just going to be spontaneous, or I'm just going to always try new things or too, you know, stuck in, you know, the consistency, particularly if they're habits that we become so attached to that we can't let go. Mm -hmm. Like I always say, you know, the world is not either or. And whenever we get caught in that thinking that, you know, that's where we get stuck. Cause of course we're never going to meet someone new if we only stay in the habits we're in, <laughs> we're yep. in right? We're not going to have, I mean, not to say we're never, I guess never is not a good term either, but right. just that the opportunities don't come unless we try to explore new things as well mm-hmm. as hold on to what gives us some comfort. And most of the growth in my experience for my own life and in most of the people I work with comes when there's some discomfort. Growth mm-hmm. does not usually come with comfort. And we're terrified of discomfort in this. I think, you know, we're always looking for something to make us comfortable, you know, or to distract ourselves or to, um, yeah, to distract or ignore or, you know, get rid of the stress that we're feeling instead of leaning into why do we have the stress? And is it possible that there's something else I could do to, um, to shift it if I lean into it and, and feel what it's creating in my own body. I want to give you a little bit of room to talk about the wonder part of your coaching business. Um, when I saw that she's like coaching people in creating is the wonder uprising was a big part with your, with your friend. Um, what does this mean? Like how does wonder play into your coaching? That's a great question. Thank you. Um, I think what happened for me, April, where wonder sort of, I think, became a driving force for myself was the recognition that when, so knowledge is an interesting thing. And when I know something, I stop questioning. And when I stop questioning, I get less open. And when I get less open, I, my world becomes a little smaller. Hmm. It reminds me of the difference between adults and children. 
Exactly, right? So we can watch the minds of really young children and watch how wonder, imagination, awe, innocence is simply a part of their everyday world. Mm -hmm. And um, we can have that like our like we used to think, you know, before people understood neuroplasticity, we used to think that the adult brain can't change, right? It, 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 it was, you know, unable to change. But when hmm. the whole neuroplasticity thing in science, you know, became true, and we realized that we could, but so what we've been trained is to, you know, that Descartes, um, quote, I think, therefore I am, okay. we're so identified with our rational minds, that we miss out on the opportunity really to have more aliveness in us because wonder brings us alive. If so, even for instance, if I'm in a situation where I'm challenged by what someone's saying to me, like I disagree with what they say and I'm, I'm feeling some tension in my body, mm -hmm. I can go into a judgmental mode and be about like this person doesn't know what they're talking about and they're just misinformed and you know, they're, they're just, they just don't know, right? Or I can go into from a place of wonder is like, wow, I wonder where that came from him then. So then I can say to them, gosh, I wonder where, where that thought, where you got that thought. Tell me more about where, where you learned about that. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I wonder, you know, and so then I can do that same thing back to myself. If I'm stuck in my, in myself and not able to move forward in work or in my home life, it's, I can get more curious about, gosh, I wonder why I'm perpetuating this same story in myself. I wonder why I'm putting the blame on my partner about this. I wonder why I'm making it all about them. I wonder what part I'm playing in this. So wonder is kind of the opener, right? It opens us. It opens us to like really begin to get out of the stories and perspectives and beliefs that we've been conditioned with. Because what I've found, and again, COVID has been a great kind of, again, science experiment about it, because we can see it right now, how much is happening in our world where there's not a lot of wonder happening. There's a lot of divisiveness. There's a lot of othering. There's a lot of separation. There's a lot of generalizing. But what if we wondered what someone who felt really differently about us, about the situation, you know, what if we could go into a conversation with them with the quality of wonder? Okay. So to, when I'm listening to you, I'm kind of hearing, I'm, I'm feeling like rather than like looking to place blame, we can look within ourselves a little right. bit more and also to try to put ourselves into the shoes of other people to, to think about where are they coming from? Yeah, partly. And then, but the other thing wonder does that, like, if you look at our guidebooks, what I, what I find, what, what's helped me be more of a wonderer from doing my own work is that there's a main question on a page and then there's a bunch of prompts. And what begins to happen is as I wonder about all these ways of viewing the world, like if I wonder about the history of how I view the word success, and if I wonder about what my great-great-grandchildren might wanna view success as, and if I wonder about my heart, what my heart feels about that, I'm in a totally different world than I am if you just say to me, what, is wonder, what does success mean to you? Like I'm beginning to look at it through all these other lenses, yeah. which allows me to, to, again, stay open and grow like new perspectives 
and to be able to see the world through many more lenses, which allows me to, to dream and to create on a level with a lot more possibility. What would you say uh, to someone who is struggling with working from home, who's finding frustration and pain and, you know, just, uh, you know, really struggling with uh, different aspects of working from home? How could your line of questioning help someone like that? Yeah, I think partly it would just be, again, getting curious, right? I wonder what, why I'm struggling. I wonder what part of this I'm struggling with. It's almost like just digging down. Like, I wonder, you know, I wonder if the time I wake up in the morning is not the best time to wake up. I wonder if I'm not going to bed early enough. I wonder if I'm not having enough connection. And I wonder if I try having more connection, how I'll feel about the day. Right. So then it's coming up through wonder with some ways of exploring, because for me, coaching is all about exploring. I don't have the answers for anyone else. You know, what I offer is a space for people to get curious and then to try new things, you know, and you might try something and that isn't the thing, but that leads you to the next thing, which leads to the next thing, which leads to creating something for you that's uniquely works for you. And like you were saying earlier, it's not that it's, it's never a steady state. You know, happiness isn't a steady state. Struggle for most of us isn't a steady state. So when we can look at it from that lens of, again, it, I think wonder has also brought me, um, April, a lot to like a sense of responsibility for the choices that I make, even in the stories that I'm telling myself, mm-hmm. right? Because struggle often comes from is self-created in some ways, right? Because it's how I'm viewing and it's, 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 I have a choice in most moments to change that, you know? What about like, I wonder if I should change how I'm sitting. I wonder what would happen if I were to take lunch outside today. I wonder what would happen if I worked from the beach. Actually, I don't recommend working from the beach sand and water. I don't know how that works with electronics, but (laughs) I wonder what would happen if I took the day off. Exactly. All of that. Am I going down the right path here? (laughs) Yes. That's what I mean. And then it's trying it, right? It's like saying like, even for instance, what you just said, like eating lunch outside or absolutely taking lunch and making sure you've turned off your technology while you're having lunch, like taking tech breaks. I wonder what it would be like to make sure I take a number of tech breaks during the day. Hmm. Right. It's because what happens for most people that I talk to too, getting off this thing, this thing that we're on right now is mm-hmm. super hard for people once they're locked into their day. Right. Yeah. Cause then they take their phone with them to go someplace else. It's like, you know, I wonder what it's like to just put the technology down for 10 minutes, every three hours. Right. Or some, you know, so again, it's mm-hmm. like, I wonder what that would feel like. And then it's testing it out, doing it for two or three days. Like, ah, oh, that felt really good. Or Oh, that's not great for me, right? That's how we lived every day in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I think wonder, it it connects us to being more explorers and adventurers, even of life that can look fairly stayed, you know, fairly flat because we're on screens, you know, there's a flatness to life when we're doing this, right? But, But I believe wonder evokes an aliveness that for most of us, for most adults in our culture is very, very depleted right now. How can people fix that? Just ask more questions? Ask more questions, yep. 
I think, and, and it's funny, there's, a, you know, I think questions are much, much more important than the answers. You know, it's more like keep asking the question, exploring the answers, coming back to the question. Um, what I found is they, we, we tend to want the answer. And again, there's, a, there's sometimes a bit of a flatness when we get to an answer and we let that be the truth. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It does, again, keeping curiosity alive, I guess I would say, honestly, April is, is, is something I really, really encourage people to do because, I mean, I can see this by looking at your face that we're talking about this. It uplifts us to be curious, right? There's an uplifting even in our body about being curious. And again, when we go back to looking at kids when they're curious, like there's an energy there and that energy is vitality, right? And it- It's reminded me of something that my daughter actually said to me this morning as we're driving to school, I'm dropping them off and it's science fair time. So they're starting to prepare their own stuff. And you know, I think a lot of science fair projects get done at home with the help of the parents. And our teacher is like, nope, just send the supplies in. They're going to do it themselves mm-hmm. um, or themselves, I guess. Okay. Um, and my daughter picked an assignment or, or one of the options for the science fair this year, apparently she picked from a list. It was something about like how to wash coins. Um, what kind of things could you use to wash, you know, quarters versus pennies versus paper money? And I was like, well, I have some ideas. I know some things that I've used in the past. And she's like, please don't tell me. I want to figure it out for myself. And I'm like, well, you could Google it. She's like, I'm not supposed to Google it. I'm supposed to like experiment and try it. And I'm like, have you tried Coke? (laughs) And um, she's like, please don't say it. You know, let me, let me try it to learn it for myself. And I'm like, okay, I can appreciate that. And I appreciate the teacher also that it's not going to be the parents doing the research or the experiment for the kids. You know, this is going to be like homegrown (laughs) science experiment from, you know, from within the child rather than having all the outside help. Right. And that's what I mean. And, and when you said that, it just, it just piggybacks on what we were just talking about earlier. And the fact that one of the reasons we've so like wonder has gotten sucked under <laughs> the sand of our life is because information is so available and we can kind mm-hmm. of connect the dots and think we know a story, but we lose out on, on our own ability to create and to imagine and to even make mistakes and start over again and find something new. You know, it's, it's, we've lost that. And, you know, I tie wonder a lot to creating a world that works for all, because that's really what I believe we need to be moving towards. And we can't move towards a world that works for all doing what we've been doing. We're not on a path to a world that works for all. So instead of thinking, we know wondering has much more potential from my perspective to lead us towards something we don't know and towards, again, possibility, like your daughter saying, there's a possibility I'm going to learn something if everybody else just lets me wonder how to do this. Right. You know, and so I think we've gotten hooked again on, you know, there's lots of books out there that, you know, are starting to talk about this. There's a great book out there called Being human being salmon being human and it's written by a phenomenologist from Norway but again he talks about the cartesian theory and how once we got cut off from our bodies and you know we were rational beings we also got cut off from nature and that has been sort of this path we've taken which for most of us again life i mean i'll just say this and this is just a total generalization but life you know, we're supposed to be one of the greatest countries in the world. And I don't know very many happy or satisfied or even 
um, I, you know, I, we're not, we're not doing great. And so I think, why are we thinking we know everything if we're really in the shape we're in? Like we're not even connecting the dots that we're unhappy. We have unbelievable anxiety rates, suicide rates, um, depression rates, and we still think we know. So turning to wonder is like, let's go back to the drawing board and take everything we thought we knew off the table for a little bit about creating a world that works for all, which means all of us have well-being. You know, all of us have access to good healthcare. All of us understand our interconnectivity with the more than human world and how without an earth, we aren't actually gonna be here as humans. And so that's kind of a vital connection to wonder about, right? <laughs> right. So I think if we don't start putting the rational mind in perspective. So why I'm such a wonder you know, advocate is, it's not that I don't think the rational mind has a place I think the place has been is it's taken over the table. <laughs> There's no other place settings at the table, mm -hmm. you know? And so without other parts of us being able to be expressed and explored and acknowledged, we fall flat and we're one dimensional, just like we are on the screens. Earlier we were talking about Zoom and other than the laughter yoga Zoom sessions that you were talking about, have you found any other ways to make connections through this medium? Well, I think the biggest way I do, and part of it is I'm, I'm a big proponent of when I ever do a workshop or a class, I always make it interactive. I'm not a talking head and I don't actually want to be the person that talks for an hour and everybody else just listens. Yeah. And you've probably been to these, but I think the best thing to do is to let people interact. So I always break out into small groups and have people have conversations about work, what we're talking about. And then we come back to a, a big group and have a couple people share and then talk about something else. And they'll go, go back into the small groups. And I just finished doing the um, climate reality leadership program that Al Gore put together. And they did a great job. Like they'd had, they had these couple meetings, which they called speed, speed dating sort of, yeah. and they had, they just randomly put four of us into a, a room mm -hmm. to have a conversation and, and talk to each other. And this was global. So I was talking to people from all over the world, sort of like mm -hmm. your conversation about the balloons. Um, and then they connected me with one person to, that I didn't know who ended up being from Ghana. And now I'm having this relationship with this guy from Ghana, who's wonderful. Nice. And I'm going to hopefully help out Ghana now, which I'm super excited about. And he's going to help out me here. So I think doing that, like making the personal connections, you have to connect people personally on Zoom. You can't just do these big events mm -hmm. and have people talking like those summits, which are wonderful in some ways, but people are talking, but there's no connection. The audience has no connection with each other. So we need yeah, to I'm find ways to have those one-on-one, -on -one, two or three people in a room having a conversation and being given permission to connect outside of those events. Some of the platforms now that, are made for things at conferences have those uh, that functionality built in. I know Zoom has it to some degree, but the speed dating thing, I'm trying to think of which platform I was using that on. Um, oh, dang it. <laughs> it'll, it'll come to me. Um, but yeah, it's, I think one time we did it was five minutes. Another time it was seven. I think sometimes 10 minutes might be nice too, to have a little bit more depth to that conversation. Otherwise you're just like, do we like each other enough that we right. want to exchange information, <laughs> you know, fast. to continue this conversation? Um, I yeah. think, I think five minutes is too fast. Um, 
I, I hear a lot of supervisors and managers who are over a team, and I know that you're not in corporate anymore, or you, you were in healthcare in the past, but um, they're always saying like, how can I have an icebreaker or what can I do to like create community? And everyone is like, just do like a Kahoot or, you know, have people share this, like, you know, what was your favorite breakfast cereal when you were a kid? And I don't know if that's really how I would want to build a community or to build community among a team. <laughs> I don't know. Like, do you have any yeah. ideas? Yeah. Well, no, I hear you. And I think for me, and this is me personally, you know, and I ended up when I first took the job where I was working as a health coach, which was more of that team oriented thing and being in separate offices and coming back together. Um, I had a great team leader whose icebreakers were much more personal and had a lot more depth in them. And, you know, there were tears in the room and there was laughter in the room. And so okay, I, I think that for me, what I crave when I meet people and want to know them is, you know, and this may sound incredibly corny, but I want to know their heart. Yeah. You know, I will connect with someone or feel a connection when they express something that is really authentic in them, not like what my favorite breakfast food was like that for me, it's information, but I personally need to be touched more, almost like that bodily sense of, of connection. And so she used a lot of ways of getting us to, um, you know, be honest and transparent, not, not in any way that didn't feel comfortable or safe for people, but we also did like a lot of, um, we did the Myers-Briggs and we did the Enneagram tests and we did ways yeah. of like sharing our personalities with each other. And then we gave each other really, you know, I was called the passionate crusader because that was my personality type, which is not shocking. <laughs> I can't remember the other names, but like that stuck for years with one of my friends. She still calls me that, um, you know, funny. so there were like fun little ways we um, kind of identified each other in kind of soft ways. But we also saw those gifts. You know, mm -hmm. my gift was, was fire. You know, my gift, is, I have a lot of fire. I'm fiery, you know, and, um, and so when people know that, they can know that my fire can both be, you know, great, you know, and it also can be intense. I'm trying to look up to see what that website was that I used um, for. It wasn't, it wasn't one of the standard ones. It wasn't like Microsoft Teams or Zoom or something. But I think I having resources, think I think sort of what you were, you know, alluding to is I think that, again, there, there comes in the creativity. You know, I, I feel for team leaders right now because I do think it's harder when you're not in person, you know, and mm -hmm. so you do need resources and, um, you know, a level of creativity that sometimes isn't always in one individual, like the leader, you know? So it makes it, it, makes it definitely more challenging right now to, to figure out the way to connect that works best for your particular team. Yeah. And some people don't want to go, you know, personal. And I think that's where, you know, that's where you get like the breakfast cereals and stuff. Um, right. Some of the icebreakers I feel like would be like too time intensive, like find a picture from you in like when you were two years old or a baby picture. And I'm like, I literally wouldn't know where to find a, a baby picture of myself right now. <laughs> like, Don't ask me to do that. That's <laughs> too much. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the ways, you know, I do icebreakers too, is just really to have people check in with, you know, one quality of their day, you know, to just share something that happened, like some little moment of their morning or their afternoon, or, you know, just to touch yeah. in one of the, I just finished doing, I did a little class on celebration and ritual recently. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, partly it was because this realization of everyone being home during COVID and the holidays coming up, like the importance of celebration. 
So often I'll just ask that question, like, what's one thing you can celebrate to get people to think like, wow, you could celebrate literally just getting out of bed is a celebration for some people. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I and, got out of bed today. Let's celebrate. Right? Yeah. That can be a celebration. Or, you know, I, I had, you know, I got activated by what somebody said in an email and I didn't respond to them. I'm going to celebrate the fact that I held off on saying, you know, there's all these little hmm. things that we do all day long that we could literally be saying, wow you know, good for me. I, you know, I, I checked in with somebody who I knew wasn't feeling well yesterday. I sent him a little text. Let me celebrate remembering a friend of mine. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, sometimes bringing qualities like celebration um, into teams to get people to celebrate each other too, like celebrating a colleague, like I'm going to celebrate, you know, Sarah, because she actually, stood up in that meeting and talked about something that really mattered to me that I didn't have the courage to speak up about. Okay. I'm going to celebrate. I just remember the name of that platform I was thinking of. It's, oh, I think it's hop in two. It's like hop in H O P I N dot T O. Oh, hop no. in two. Yes. I just went to a conference that that was, that was the, Is that the one where they did the speed networking. No, but they did a bunch of breakout rooms in that one. Yeah. yeah. So speed yeah. networking is another component of that platform, oh, which I really appreciate. I, so if I were to yeah. host something, I'd probably use that one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to celebrate. And that's, I thought of it. Yeah. Um, Well, and like, I think it gets a little tricky around the holidays coming up, you know, because there are so many diverse holidays and so many different cultural ways that people, you know, um, celebrate and some people to avoid conflict, will just not talk about it. Um, But I think if it's something that's special to you, like what's a, a tradition that's important to you, you know, it doesn't have to be the same for everybody. Right. Um, I, I, mine is cliche. I just, I I ask my kids and my husband to this all the time. And it's, it's almost like to the point where they'll imitate me and be like, what was your favorite part about the day? But I'll just be like, you know, cause like we went to a symphony orchestra last night. It was a youth symphony and it was a little bit of a struggle. I was there alone with three kids. My husband was on call, so he couldn't come. And oh my goodness, my kids are trying to play rock, paper, scissors and thumb roars in the middle of a symphony orchestra performance. And I had to like, you know, squash that. like not appropriate. Um, and so for me, it was a little bit stressful and frustrating to try to like keep my kids, you know, respectful of the environment. Uh, but afterwards, you know, I was like, so what was your favorite part? And my little six-year-old was like, I loved the squishy bouncy seats, you know, that we were sitting in the auditorium. I'm like, yeah, I know you did. Um, but you know, even if an event didn't go perfectly as planned, there's still something, something that stands out that was good. And sometimes my, my husband's favorite part of the day is just coming home. You know, just we did it. Now we're home and now I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, no, April, I totally love that. And that's what I mean. I think when you, I just want to go back to what you were saying about people having different holidays and different celebrations. And that's why I think it's important, like what you just said that you do with your family. It's, we can all celebrate the small stuff you know, what matters to us. And we begin to know each other better. Like, you know, what you just said about your husband, like his favorite part of the day is just getting home. Like knowing that about him can, can actually change even how you respond to him when he gets home, knowing that that is something he is his favorite thing and that he really celebrates being there. So when we know those small things about what we want to celebrate, it can enhance our relationship and make, you know, help us feel more connected to somebody Um, instead of waiting for the big holiday, which as you said, is very complicated now, you know, much more complex 
um, I think than many of us understood as to, you know, our traditional holidays in the United States and then what people really want to celebrate, which is a huge variety of things. Mm-hmm. I think that we could talk for probably another hour, but I know you have another <laughs> meeting you need to get to. So why don't we, do you have any final thoughts? I think that we covered a lot of ground today. Anything you want to throw out there for closing? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much. This is, you're right. It's a great conversation. I'm really um, appreciating some of the things that we have in common. You know, some of the, it feels like that thing you said about your children and asking them what their favorite thing was. I was like that with my kids in a similar way. And their eyes would almost roll when I would ask the same question, but they learned to answer it. And they, you know, I noticed they do some of the same similar things with their friends now. So Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, But I think I just want to close again with, with, really, you know, honoring our humanity and, and hopeful that we can, you know, utilize more of ourselves. So our wondering selves, our imaginative selves, our, our uh, intuitive selves to really, you know, have lives that, you know, we find meaning and be able to do the service we want to do in the world. So I'm hopeful that we can all we can all get there. And if people want to connect with my work, they can go to wonderuprising.com and they can download some free samples of some of the guidebooks to just explore those and see if it's a fit for them to play around with those questions and wonder that way. And so that's the website is the best way to contact you? Wonderuprising.com. Yeah. Can you go ahead and spell your name for us so that we can just, if anyone is trying to find you? Yeah, it's Carol, C-A-R-O-L, and then Delmonico, D-E-L-M-O-N-I-C-O. All right. Well, thank you so much, Carol. I have really appreciated our conversation, and I hope we can continue talking again in the future. Thanks so much for spending this time with me. Thank you. It's been really, really great. I really appreciate the time. All right. This has been Carol Delmonico with Abram Malone and Yes, I Work From Home, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you.